Today we have three great interviews for you on three important issues that we are all or that we all need to be concerned about in 2023. We're talking about healthcare, we're talking about social security, and we're talking about unionization. We have three great interviews that you guys will want to see. We played them before, but I'm pretty sure all of you have not seen all of them. So check this out and let's go ahead and get busy. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm honored to have Alex Lawson, the director, executive director of Social Security Works. Alex, how are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for having me. Well, look, Alex, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you is that there is something that's happening that I think every American needs to be aware of, specifically about Social Security and Medicare. We have um, many believe, I, I personally don't, but many believe that uh, this election cycle is likely to go to the Republicans holding on to the House. And if that becomes a reality, they are intent on, from what I understand, from what McCarthy had to say, Kevin McCarthy, who will be the next speaker if they win, he wants to hold the nation hostage with the debt ceiling and using the debt ceiling to, pre to prevent a, a, a universal market crash to hold uh, Social Security and American uh, hostage to Social Security and Medicare. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? So um, it is basically the exact same playbook that they ran under Obama. Um, and it's it's 100 percent what they will do. What they do is they take the debt ceiling. Um, they make all this noise about, you know, oh, well, they're being fiscal conservative. These They have been fiscal conservatives uh, their entire lives. I mean, like, look at the Trump era. They're not fiscal conservatives. All they're doing is trying to hurt the economy and the people in order to take the presidency in 2024. So what they want to do is cause pain and chaos um, so that it hurts Biden, so that it increases their chance of taking the presidency in 2024. That was absolutely what the Republicans did under Obama uh, when they tried to, from 2010 to 2012, they just consistently held the debt ceiling hostage and pushed the nation to the brink of uh, financial collapse with no it's not like you know, the United States doesn't have the money. Um, the S&P ratings agency who rate sovereign debt actually downgraded U.S. Um, bonds during this period. And in the note, they said it has nothing to do with the America, with the United States' ability to pay. The U.S. is the richest country in the history of the world. It has nothing to do with can we pay. Yes, we can pay. But politicians are now using the debt ceiling uh, to get their uh, what they want. And what they want is cuts to Social Security and Medicare. Um, and that is... The only thing that was shocking to me is that Kevin McCarthy said it outright. That's really rare. That's really like usually they, they it's behind closed doors. They don't want anyone to know exactly what their plan is, which is to hold the debt ceiling hostage to try to extract cuts to Social Security and Medicare. Um, but for whatever reason, Kevin McCarthy is making it really well known that that is their plan. So you have you know, you have Rick Scott in the Senate saying we're going to put Social Security on the chopping block every five years. Um, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin saying, yeah, no, 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 that's not enough. 
Um, we're going to put it on the chopping block every year. And now you have Kevin McCarthy saying, you know, in fact, we're going to use the debt ceiling immediately uh, to force through cuts to Social Security and Medicare or crater the world economy. Um, so, you know, it's it's arsonists. That's what we're dealing with. Now, let, let's let's be clear here. First of all, um, that when you mentioned that it is amazing that he said that before the election, we have to realize that these are not the smartest cats out there. In other words, Kevin mm -hmm. McCarthy is not very smart. Neither is John Johnson. Neither is uh, Rick Scott in 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 um in Florida. Now, now here's the thing. Tell the American people those. Uh, disabled who are dependent on SSI and other social security uh, support and those over 62 that may be dependent on social security. Please look into that camera and tell them if they decide to bring Republicans into power, what will happen to their substance? Yeah. I mean, literally the first thing the Republicans did uh, when they took the house in 2010 was Sam Johnson put forward a bill to decimate Social Security. It's not totally true because the first thing they did is they tried to eliminate the Office of Ethics. Um, that was the first thing they do because they're super corrupt, so they don't want anyone looking over their shoulder. But the second thing they did uh, is they put forward a bill to decimate Social Security. So, I mean, this isn't a, it. it is exactly what will happen. And then if Republicans take control, the only question is which one of their disastrous plans, are they going to be able uh, to try to ram through? If the but what, I, what I want to know, Alex, what I want to know, because one of the things I find uh, with many uh, of the people, the opponents of Republicans is they tell they tell the American people Republicans bad for you. What Republicans are good in, in doing and sa is saying what Democrats will do will cause this to you. It's generally mm -hmm. a lie but they tell you it will cause this to you. For a person receiving X amount of dollars in social security, let that person know what materially will occur to their pocketbook going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's super simple. Uh, your benefits will go down. Um, that's what the Republicans are promising to do. The only question is they're also promising to it potentially just get rid of the entire program, which would literally your check goes away. Um, you know, that it seems very unthinkable, but I, you know, I heard a lot of people say that about SCOTUS overturning Roe as well. You know, oh, that's not going to happen. It's what they've been trying to do for 40 years. Uh, so, yes, it is what can happen. George W. Bush tried to just give our Social Security away to Wall Street two years before Wall Street co collapsed the world economy. Uh, what that would mean for people is that the checks that they get every month that they've earned after a lifetime of work go away or go down. And, you know, in this uh, economy with corporate price gouging and prices going up as fast as the corporations can get away with it, the only thing that is uh, saving grace is social security that just got a 9% cost of living adjustment, right? So benefits are going up next year because this year there's a 9% cost of living adjustment. Medicare premiums are going down. The Biden administration announced that. So you have Medicare premiums going down, seniors, people with disabilities paying less for their health care, uh, social security benefits going up. 
uh, seniors, people with disabilities and survivors getting more money in their pockets because of what happened now. What the Republicans are promising to do is to lower the cost of living. So they want less money into people's pockets. They want to cut benefits directly, less money into people's pockets. They want to get rid of the ability of Medicare to negotiate drug prices, which we just won. They want to raise people's drug prices. That's what it means for people. Less money in your pocket and prices skyrocketing, especially on uh, prescription drugs again. You know what Biden just did with the Inflation Reduction Act? No one in Medicare's drug prices can spike anymore. No one. No one in Medicare's drug prices are going to be able to go up faster than the rate of inflation uh, from now on. And inflation is super high right now because of corporate price gouging. But, you know, pharma has been price gouging forever. They're the OG price gougers. So the average uh, uh, drug, not the average, but um, for the uh, most commonly used drugs in Medicare, we're talking 35 percent is what they're increasing, a 35% price increase, just price gouging, gone because of the Inflation Reduction Act. That's over starting next year. The Republicans are promising to get rid of that. They want to repeal Medicare negotiation, Medicare uh, negotiating lower drug prices, and they want to replace it with you paying higher drug prices. I mean, it couldn't be as more stark Republicans want to cut Social Security benefits. Democrats want to expand Social Security benefits. Republicans want to raise your drug prices. Democrats want to cut your drug prices. Uh, again, it's just it's hard to to watch this uh, happening and and see people who don't understand this. Like they don't. Oh, maybe you, you know, know. Maybe it's but different here, than that. Here's Alex. What I what I like to uh, get it, get informed people because a lot of people say, "Well, why would they purposefully just want to hurt people?" Nobody wants to purposefully hurt people. And you know what? I'm going to say this: Republicans don't want to purposefully hate hurt people, but they want to have maximal gain for their benefactors. And maximal gain for their benefactors mean they have to hurt you to actually get that done. And I think that is, I think sometimes that is a part of the message that people don't understand. Well, people don't want to just go out there and hurt you. Well, no, they don't want to just go out there and hurt you. They don't care about you. I mean, uh, as far as you're concerned, you're immaterial. You are just the widget used to gain access to more wealth for those who are their benefactors. So let me let me ask you, because um, this is this is modus operandi for uh, the, the Republican Party in that they believe in a laissez-faire economy. They'd like to throw your health care into Wall Street, as you mentioned. And ultimately, what they would want to do is make it's, make government seem so dysfunctional that then you run to the private sector. Explain a little bit about that. Yeah, it's the uh, you know the oldest trick in the book. So they uh, they kneecap the mailman, uh, and then they complain that the mail is late, uh, and then it just so happens that they got a cousin over there who does private mail uh, delivery service for just you know six times the price of uh, of uh, the U.S. Postal Service and with a far uh, poorer quality. It's the con. Uh, it, you know, they call it privatization. That's not what it is. It's just stealing. You know, right. you know? it's like, thank it's, you. It, it's our stuff. And they're like, oh, I don't like it being your stuff. I want it to be my stuff. Um, it's just stealing. So like, this is what they do. 
Um, when has it ever worked? You tell me, have them tell you, right? Uh, it doesn't make anything more efficient. Um, all that happens is that a small number of rich people become more rich. Uh, and then those rich people take a teeny tiny, teeny tiny, because politicians are actually cheap. Um, the rich actually people yeah. have so much money, they take a teeny tiny bit and they just throw it over to the politicians and they say, keep my game going. I mean, look at drug prices. It's the easiest one. Pharma's entire game relies on the government allowing them to charge whatever they want and protecting their patents that allow them to do that or otherwise create uh, their monopolies, protecting their monopolies. If the government, when the government doesn't allow them to do that, like we just did with Medicare negotiation, their, their, their prices go down. Right. So all they do is they make literally over uh, a decade trillions, trillions with a T of dollars. That's what we're talking about with drug prices over 10 years. Uh, that's in the New England Journal of Medicine. With uh, You can Google it. You can look at how much money it is. And then they take off, you know, a few millions, tens of millions or hundreds of millions. But when it comes to trillions of dollars, that's pocket change that it takes to buy the politicians to ensure that their game keeps going and that they can, you know, afford another golden yacht. So yes, maybe some of the politicians don't actively want to hurt people. They're just in a gang, right? They're just like, they know how it works. These people give them money and tell them what to do. But the people at the top, the sociopaths at the top, they absolutely know that what they're doing is hurting people. They're counting on it hurting people. They know that when they can hold people's health and lives hostage, that's when they can take the most money. You know, when the question is, how much are you willing to pay for your life, for your children's life? How much are you willing to pay for this drug that your child needs to live? And the answer is everything that you have and everything that you can borrow and then everything that you can steal. Uh, and they know that. And they know that the only way to keep that racket, that racket, right? It's an illegal racket is what's going on. The only way to make it legal is to buy the politicians to protect it. Um, and like I said, politicians actually come real cheap, especially a bunch of House Republicans. They're super cheap. Um, and so that is exactly what they're going to do. Now, Alex, um, uh, we, we just have a couple more questions here before we're done. Um, first of all, uh, one of the one of the things that irks me the most is I don't see you enough on broadcast TV. I don't see you enough on cable TV, someone who understands this matter. And one of the reasons I try to give as much exposure to all the folks doing the real good work to help the American people, it seems like too often these broadcasts and cable networks, it's not that they're bad people, but all these guys advertise with them. How, Absolutely. How, how do, and, and probably one of the reasons that we don't get the the right type of information to have an informed public. The public is not really stupid. The public is just uninformed. The public is also very busy. People are right. super busy. It's one of the biggest, you know, hustles. Keep people so busy and the information show so jumbled that it just doesn't get out there. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, like I can be a little more pointed. I mean, like, yeah, who owns the corporate media? Well, look at who's advertising in between the news segments. Right. That's who owns them. They're the bosses. Um, where does the money come from? It's all drug price. I mean, it's all uh, pharmaceutical advertisements. 
right? Like they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Uh, And if they do, there is no wall between it, right? Like if somebody tries to do it, um, they're the corporations just call the boss, the boss calls down and the person loses their job. Right. I mean, like, that's just, that's just the way it works. Um, and so, yeah, the corporate media is not going to tell the truth about what Republican plans for, uh, drug prices are because they don't want to anger their bosses in pharma. Corporate media is not going to tell the truth about what's happening in Medicare, uh, what the Republicans are going to do to Medicare. Uh, just to destroy it, hand it over to their criminal friends on Wall Street because insurance, you know, big hospital, they're they're going to say, uh, absolutely not. We're not letting that content on. And uh, corporate media is not going to talk about what Wall Street's plan for Social Security is because these are the Wall Street billionaires. It's the billionaires who hate Social Security. Uh, they hate it because it works. They hate it because it costs less than 1% to administer the whole system. For everybody, they hate it because for 80 years, through boom time and bust, through war and peace, through uh, uh, through health and pandemic, Social Security's never missed a single payment. The billionaires hate things that work, uh, things that work because we all work on them together. They make money off of chaos and no other choices. They hate Social Security, so they try to smash it up. So you have to give them your money. Uh, for retirement. They hate public education because it works. Um, They don't want people to understand how rigged the system is for the wealthy. Um, That's the billionaire's game. Uh, And, you know, the corporate media is is literally part and parcel of that. So it's only with truth tellers like yourself that we're able to get the message out there. Um, And that's what, you know, I try to do. And I know you try to do every day. Now, here's the interesting thing. One of the things that they are scared, I think, the most of is right now, Social Security uh, taxes have a cap. And uh, whenever they talk about Social Security is in trouble, the easiest solution is just to increase the cap on Social Security to another level. To tell you the truth, I think it should be like Medicare, no cap on Social Security. And all of our Social Security would then drop in price, except for the few billionaires that there are out there. What's the case on that? Absolutely. So the first $147,000 of a person's wages are 100% taxed for Social Security. So for the vast majority of Americans, your wages are taxed on 100% 100 of what you make is paying into Social Security. But for a billionaire, it's a teeny tiny percentage of it, right? I mean, like a billionaire like Elon Musk or somebody like that, uh, you know, he probably stops paying on January 1st, like one minute into one the minute year. into January 1st. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we don't we pay the whole time. Right. right. So the answer is super easy. OK, I want Elon Musk to pay into Social Security on 100 percent of the money that he makes, both wages, earned income, but also capital gains, everything. Um, and if we do that, we not only can protect Social Security um, for, you know, forever. We can increase benefits, which is the only problem with Social Security is millions of people benefits are too low. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have a bill together that increases Social Security benefits $200 a month for everybody. That's not going to mean a lot for someone like Elon Musk, but for the millions of Americans who rely on Social Security, that means everything. Uh And so, yes, Elon Musk uh, is going to have to pay on all of his income. Um, Jeff Bezos is going to have to pay on all of his income uh, for this tiny slice of people. 
who've just been, you know, having this upward redistribution of wealth from our pockets into theirs. Um, it's just a little bit. They're still going to be richer uh, than any person should be. They'll have um, more money than they can spend. Absolutely. There's no way they can spend it. The amount of money that these people have actually accumulated, I mean, it's sick, uh, right? I mean, it. Well, it's you only... actually, you used the word earlier, psychopath. They yeah. are psychopaths. Every single billionaire that objects to saying tax my entire wage for Social Security has to be considered a psychopath. And I don't know if enough Americans know that while 100% of their income is Social Security taxed, that most of the billionaires, it's inconsequential in, in, in what they pay in Social Security taxes. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's just you want to know why they fight so hard to destroy it is because they don't want that to happen. They don't want uh, to pay in on all of their income. And you mentioned Medicare that happened under Obamacare. And if you want to remember, like what happened there, the, that's all the uh, the billionaires cared about. That's right. why the re the repeal and replace thing happened forever. Right? right. Like because the billionaires didn't want to pay more uh, into, you know, the system that made them billionaires in the first place, just because they're sick with greed. They don't think of other people. Um, but, you know, the in the end, like with Obamacare, in the end, once the truth actually got out there, which took a long time. Uh, but remember, when the Republicans took power again, and we're like, we're going to get rid of Obamacare, and people realized they're like, wait a minute, no, 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 I like my health care. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want you to. But all the propaganda confused that that and the the Democrats lost in 2010 because of lies about uh, Obamacare. Right. They, the Republican right. billionaire propaganda machine turned the Democrats have given people health care into somehow the Democrats have taken people's Medicare away. Right. right? I mean, they're just straight up lies. Uh, and and that is what. That is why your work is so important, Alex. Um, that is why your work is so important. And that is why we always have to make sure that we learn from our past experiences on, on messaging, which we've always had problems messaging appropriately. And, uh, you know, uh, I really hope we can solve that. We need to be more assertive, more aggressive, and also not be defensive, but be one of the things I, I like about you is you're not scared to be on the offense. In other words, you don't have to defend what you're doing because what you're doing is for the people. My last question is always this. What should I have asked you that I didn't? And what would you like to tell our audience? Uh, there's some good ones there. Um, but the the main thing is that Kevin McCarthy, um, Rick Scott, uh, uh, Ron Johnson, Marco Rubio, they are in lockstep. You know, all of these races uh, uh, can be won by the Democrats. That's one thing. Uh, as long as people understand that all of their plans is to reach their hands into our pockets and steal our earned benefits, to take our Social Security away from us, to take our Medicare away from us. That's what's on the ballot in November. Um, and so voting is not enough. Obviously, we need way more, but voting is absolutely the critical first step. Because I've seen this before. If we go back to 2010, um, all that happens is we will be defending against Republican attacks on Social Security and Medicare uh, for at least the next two years. And unfortunately, uh, possibly longer than that, because, you know, it works when you hold the world economy hostage. Um, it, it actually they oftentimes are able to extract a lot of pain. 
So that's what's at stake. Uh, thank you for having me on to, to, to try to shine a light on that. And uh, I hope that we did a good job. You did a great job. Alex Lawson, Executive Director, Social Security Works, somebody that is a, increasingly important to everybody's Social Security, Medicare, and everything beyond that. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome to our first edition of Politics Done Right outside of Netroots, or rather in the Netroots Nation Conference here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And as our first guest today, we have Vic. Yuzumary. Vic Yuzumary. I noticed I paused because I wanted to make sure to get Yuzumary correctly. Vic, welcome to Politics Done Right. Thank you. Hey, Vic, um, we, we've, we're here trying to... Uh, Unite folks here on the prog- in the progressive uh, domain and, and learn about different policies, etc. And one of the things that I've been very interested in is healthcare. Mm-hmm. Now, you are, I, I call you an expert because you've lived in both systems. You've lived in the American healthcare system and you've lived the Canadian healthcare system. First of all, just an absolute term, which is the better system? Um, like every business system and and i'd characterize these as business systems i mean we tend to put magic in there that's it's magical health care medicine ouija board and all kinds of stuff they're they really are trying to uh, deliver systematically deliver health care services to the population so in america american uh has u.s has one system Mm -hmm. uh canada has another system there are probably 30 other right. systems. Right, NHS in, 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 in Great Britain. Well, the OECD countries, there's right. there's 32 countries and 32 different variety right. flavors of the system. Right. So it's a system. So I don't, I've never, my background is I taught business operations management supply chain for a long time, decades. And business systems are never, you never take a business system against another business system and say one is better. You can't. Parts of one are are much better than mm-hmm. another, and it'll flip the other way. Now, some cases, um, a lot more parts may be good in one system than are good in another. Mm-hmm. In which case, you strong form a strong uh, appreciation for the system you think has more good parts. No, I want to. I want to. And Canada, Canada is the one I would say has more on balance, has more good, well thought out pieces of the puzzle than the United States. You're a very diplomatic person is what I I will say, because (laughs) I I look as an, both of us are engineers, but as a more, I guess, absolute engineer, I would look and I said, I look at outcomes. And if you look at the outcomes from one system over the other in the aggregate, just about every single system in the OCD, OECD comes out. Outperforms the United States. The United States. Yes. And I think that is, that gives, that's a, in my opinion, that's the answer that we, well, we, we look for. I, I agree. I mean, if I, if you ask me which would I personally prefer mm-hmm. to live with, the answer would be the Canadian system. Now, you told me a story that, that kind of boggled my mind. And first of all, we we're going to sort of touch on your wife's story, just in, as it relates to healthcare. But you mentioned something that to me, uh, I when I heard it, it, I just didn't think about. You said when you go to a doctor. Or you seek health care in Canada, money never comes up as a topic. That's correct. Um, 
the closest, uh, let's see if I can fish it out. Um, the closest it comes is it's this a card. card. I mean, this is this might as well, for all per intents and purposes, might right. be might as well be a Visa or MasterCard. Right. I right. mean, it has it does exactly the same thing. So whenever you need help, you go into a bar, you talk to the bartender, you get your drink, you have your meal, you chat with your friends, you, you chat with the bartender, they give you service, do all that stuff. The only money you talk to a bartender is when they bring you the bill and you hand them their, your visa card. Right. Okay. Think that experience. And that's the Canadian experience. So they give you health care and you provide that as the... You you, up front. You up walk front. in. You walk in. You walk in and they need to know who you are. That's your ID card. That's your ID. So, and at least where I am, downtown Toronto, um, all of my records are electronic. Right. So when my family pra uh, practitioner sends me for a test, I go I go to uh, to get the test. I show my card. Well, that card allows them to look up my medical records before the test. Right. I mean, all that stuff is organized. It's all tied around. And the key is that it's a single point point of truth right. about who I am and where the money's coming from. Exactly, exactly. And there's a big concept in business about when you build business systems is establishing a single point of truth. That is one place you can always go reliably to and get the facts. And everybody can do it, so everybody can be on the same page. Unlike our system where one particular doctor, any patient comes in, he has to have a staff to tell him exactly what insurance company are you with and call them up, see what's covered. That's right. That is no, that's that and that is the that to me is the fundamental flaw and inefficiency in the United, in the US system. US system spends twenty five to thirty five percent of the of its Healthcare dollar. Not administration. Not administration. Trying to figure out who to stick the bill to. Right, right, right. I mean, it's not about paying the bill. It's not about delivering a service. There's nothing in there other than everybody scurrying around like rats. Right. In a, in a maze trying to figure out who's going to be the unlucky soul that gets stuck with the bill. The bill. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole, that's, that's almost a third, quarter to a third mm -hmm. of the total healthcare expenditure in the United States. Canada does not have that right. at all. Right. All right. So right there is any any medical service you want to provide in Canada. You know, there's this minor stuff around the edges, but in theory, it's going to be 25 to 30 percent cheaper. Right. Just because that cost is not part of the equation at all. That is, that is him. So tell us a little bit about your recent experience okay. that probably would have bankrupted somebody here in the United States and you had it in Canada. Well, the we just moved. My wife and I just moved from Atlanta. I mean, my background is I spent 20 years teaching at Auburn University. Mm -hmm. Then I took early retirement and lived for the past decade in, in uh, Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. And then last, uh, last August, we sold our, our condo mm -hmm. um, and moved to Toronto. And right. Both my wife and I are Canadian citizens, well, mm -hmm. natives. We were born there. Mm -hmm. So we were able to move back. Were you American citizens too? Or yes, resident? Yeah. we're both, we're, we're dual. Okay. Uh, because we, over 35 years in the United States, I'd become naturalized. Right. And, but you don't throw away, you know, don't change where you're born. So right. I'm still a Canadian citizen. Right. So I was able to move back pretty seamlessly. Um, and to get health care, to get that little card, 
Um, the only really bureaucratic thing I had to do is we had to have we had to have a permanent place to live because mm. it's based on your on where your, your residence. Right. Yeah, each like, province have a it's each one has right. it, and and plus all the paperwork has to go somewhere. They have to have a place to mail you and so on. So uh, it wasn't even when we moved into an apartment. It's when I had the signed lease from the apartment. Right. I was able to go down to Service Ontario, the government office, with one-stop shopping, show them the signed lease, and they handed me, you know, the equivalent of a temporary driver's license. They right. handed me a sheet of paper, which was my temporary health card. Right. Had the code that mattered. Right. Card didn't matter. The code did. And two weeks later, the plastic card right. showed up in my mailbox. That's it. And now you are a covered... Citizen. I was covered from the moment I got that piece of paper with my code number on it. Right. The temp. And then you can go. You can go get health care. I can walk into any. Um, uh, they have a system there. I, basically, it's all run through. Um, now, in the U.S., my wife and I were first in the in, in downtown Atlanta. We were mm -hmm. in the Emory Healthcare System. Mm -hmm. I had U.S. pensions and have very good, you know, Medicare. Part A, right. B, C, D, and and supplemental from the last one was Humana. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were well covered right. in the States. And I was in the uh, Emory system and then in the Piedmont system in downtown Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and within those systems, we could sort of get anything we right. wanted. With that card, with the Ontario card, I can walk... Um, I go to my my family practice. You, they assign you. You have to have a family practice. Mm -hmm. You have to have a quarterback. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you do when you get the card, or even when you get the code number, mm -hmm. is phone a, um, a, a exchange or exchange, and they say they take your information and say okay, and then they go look for a family practice right. practitioner, and they say very clearly up front. If you don't like them, just call back and we'll get you another. Right. I mean, it's not like we're sticking them. But here, here's one we think, you know, the one we have right now is a five-minute walk. Right. Um, you know, those are, they had that criteria. And so my wife and I each have our own family practice. And right. And everything goes through them. Right. And they can, anything I need in the way of uh, services or um, diagnostics or testing or anything like that, um, if it makes medical sense, then he, right. he just writes a referral and boom, it's done. Right. When I go to get the test, I just show my card. Right. They knock it off. There's never a conversation about money. Right. There's never a conversation about bureaucracy. Right. The only bureaucracy you and I've encountered in the Canadian system is bureaucracy if it had a specific medical meaning right. and requirement. It was a, it was. Exactly. I, I get exactly what you're talking about. You know, there, there's a reason for that. Bureaucracy. Yeah. We're, we, when you're arguing over, when you're talking about when will I get another appointment, the right. other appointment is, well, when will it make medical sense right. for you to come back? Don't, no point coming back in two days. Nothing will have changed. Right. Uh, that, so to be in a, to go from the Emory and the Piedmont system, which are very sophisticated systems. Right. I mean, those are probably right at the top of U.S. medicine. Right. Uh, business practices. Right. Um, to to Canada, and um, it's just so clean and simple. Right. And because it's all through the same system, my records are available to everybody I go to. I don't have to 
I don't have to make. You don't have to fill out a whole they list. They already of have them. Efficiency. If they've got my code, they've got they've got the access, and they already have. I code. tell you something that 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 they use in the United States to dissuade people from doing things like that, right? They like to use this thing called privacy, not realizing you know. Oh, that's in having your records centralized like that is. Well, you got to trade off. You got to trap. Right. You can you can hide your medical condition from your doctors. Right. And you can be confident that they will not know right. uh, what you've had and where you've had it and what's right. happened. Um, and then they can make a mistake and kill you. And that's what people don't understand. But the other thing that they talk about with privacy is that, well, if, if everybody has your records, they can actually see it. And, and to my thing is the only reason to hide your medical records in the United States system is to, to sort of con the system so that they don't know some entity doesn't find out that you had something before yeah if you're running a, a really good if you're condition. running a really good social security scam right then that kind of privacy makes a hell of a lot of sense Ex i'd be all for it exactly i mean every social security scammer i mean but that that's when I say business systems, you got the same business system issues in right. every other business system. Exactly, exactly. You know, but did the supplier really put stuff in the container before they shipped it, or did it drop in the ocean? Anyway, Vic, I, I want to before we we close here. I want to go over that story about your wife. Okay. So let's go ahead and talk about you. Something happened recently. Just tell us that sequence. Yeah, this is this is after we arrived in Canada, and my wife. Um, she, my wife went to her family practice right. and, and said, she was told she really needed to have, uh, it was time to have some diagnostics. There were some signs and stuff like that. Uh, family practice doctor uh, pushed her mm -hmm. to go get the diagnostics and set everything up. It was all done. I mean, boom, 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 boom. She went, got the diagnostics. They found a, they found an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, it was going to require some fairly serious surgery. Mm -hmm. um, the next step is the lab that found the surgery, the doctor at the lab that found the surgery had already uh, went straight ahead and made um, a uh, referral. Mm -hmm. And where we are, we're very fortunate. There are five major research teaching hospitals mm -hmm. within, a, within a five minute drive. Wow. So, I mean, they, they they just went around all these great hospitals and said, okay, who's got an opening? Oh, okay, over there. My wife went there. Mm -hmm. Turns out the doctor is probably top 20, top 50 in North America. Wow. Um, young guy, I mean, 40s, sharp as a tack, mm -hmm. really nice. Um, and his performance was absolutely professional. Mm -hmm. I mean, as good as you Emory and Piedmont would die and go to heaven if they could deliver that service. Right, right. It, and that, and you got some of the best insurance here in the United States, and it turns out that this this that's going to cost you nothing. Well, as I said, other than your taxes, Piedmont, Piedmont or Emory, on a on their best on their best day would have equaled what we got. Imagine that. Um, we she went into hospital. She had surgery. Actually, before that, he he wanted to be certain of the diagnosis, so. She, she had full blood workup, ultrasound, MRI, CAT scan, whole everything. Boom. It took him about two weeks to get it all scheduled. Um, he looked at everything, took it to a, a team 
in, in one of the hospitals where they actually review mm -hmm. these cases as a group. And, uh, you know, so they get input from multiple eyes mm -hmm. on the problem. Came up with a plan, uh, involved surgery, mm -hmm. booked her into, uh, into a hospital. She went in, she had the surgery. She stayed three days, uh, uh, went home. She got 10 visits from a home um, support nurse, RN. Just a follow-up. Make sure that, that follow-up after the surgery, the surgery was going well, there was no infection, yada, yada, yada. Um, and she has regular appointments with a follow-up nurse at the hospital every couple of months now scheduled out mm -hmm. for life. Mm -hmm. um, as long as she wants them, as long as she needs them, she can have them. Mm -hmm. She can just go there. Total cost. Zero. Out of pocket. And, no, sorry. It's not total cost a lot more. Out of pocket to us, zero. zero. But the truth, and then one of the things that I asked you, and we're coming close to the time that we have to close, but one of the things that I asked you was, uh, hey, Vic, but did, uh, isn't your, aren't your taxes a hell of a lot more than in the United States? And your answer was a bit surprising. Well, it, it, it's hard to tell, but it's not hugely different. I mean, because first of all, the moment we came to Canada, I was able to drop the Medicare Part B and the Humana Extended and Health that, right. that I was doing through my pension plan. So right there is about 500 US a month. A month that you uh, don't pay at all. That I don't pay at all. Gone. Gone. Um, now, are my taxes higher than that? Because of our my situation, it's actually a little hard. I have some business losses in a previous year right. they're carrying they carry in the states they don't apply in canada so i'll probably know next year my sense is i'll pay a little more in canada right but for what it's worth but not not remotely um you know it, it won't be egregious in any way right and uh the net effect is but the peace of mind the peace of mind and do you know that you can get the service when you want the service so the fallacy that you have to wait I tell people here in the United States, try to make an appointment with a specialist here in the U.S. Sometimes you're months away from being able to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, uh, you'll be and, months away from seeing a specialist if it's a if it's an elective situation an elect in yeah. Canada. I mean, right. specialists for elective sur surgery are scarce everywhere in the world. Right. Um, so you're going to get that, and you know your mileage may vary. I mean, my mo my mother had a hip replacement, and they made her wait six months, four or five of those months, she was doing rehab. Right. Now, either that rehab was to... Uh, See if she really needed it after all. Yeah. I mean, was either was either to sort of a sneaky way of rationing the care. Right. Or it was just damn good medicine. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't know which one it is. Right, I'm not going right, to say. Right. Overall, my, sen my sense is financially on the medical side, we're going to be close to a wash or somewhere reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows the system that's been built, which has its weaknesses. I mean, right. there's some areas that Canadians, Canadians bitch about their healthcare system. Right. Everybody. Well, the only thing is when they do survey, if you do a survey of Canadians and say, do you, you know, are you satisfied with healthcare? They'll say no. If you ask them another question, would you trade your healthcare for the U.S.? The answer is hell no. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think that is where we ended. Vic. <laughs> Thank you so kindly for being Take a care. part of Politics and Right. I've enjoyed it.
Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Yvette Avery. She's a working mother providing for her family. She has had been, she's been a Teamster Union steward at UPS, as well as an activist for workers' rights throughout the country. She has been working on the most extensive and ex ex effective organizing campaign with the IAM to get union representation for Delta ramp and cargo workers. Delta recently, well, I tell you what, I, I'm going to just say, welcome to Politics on Right Event. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fine. I want to. I want you to give me a three or four line synopsis of who Yvette is before we get into questions that I want to ask you about. Where is the labor movement right now? So why don't you tell us a little bit about what really got you into this stuff? I, I think it was just in my blood um, because I have family who've been fighting for workers for a long time who are maybe even in the political arena. So we've always been those type of people and I was just kind of raised that way in order to always help somebody else. So my thing is anytime I see any type of injustices, especially with working people, I, I jump in. So that's something I was doing even before I became a, a union steward. I pounded the streets anytime somebody had something going on with workers' rights or any activism in that, in that area, I was there. Now, uh Again, tell us a little bit about, you had your own little incident with Delta. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then we'll go in further. Yeah, so I worked for Delta Airlines for seven years. Uh, started out as a ramp worker, went upstairs as a gate agent. And as I was upstairs as a gate agent, started wearing the union pin. It was a lot more active in the, the unionizing process for the below wing and cargo workers. Well, that led to them all of a sudden saying that my job at UPS was a conflict of interest. Mind you, I had already been at UPS five years prior to start working at Delta. On my resume, they were fully aware that I worked at that company, but now it became an issue that I was out in front as a union activist trying to get the workers um, organized. So at that point, they gave me an ultimatum saying that my job was a conflict and that I needed to choose which job that I wanted to keep. So, of course, I said, I don't have the issue. Delta has the issue. I want to keep both of my jobs. I work them both. I need them both to sustain my family. So, therefore, I want to keep both of my jobs. But ultimately, they terminated me. And the fight continued, started at that point, of course, for me, with the uh, hashtag Stand With Yvette movement that I started online. I made videos, did interviews, and you graciously gave me a spot on your show to you know, get the, the information out as to how Delta treated workers and those who are fighting for workers' rights and how they were union busting at, it, at its fine. Now, is your case now closed or you continue to fight that particular case? Well, it's definitely closed now. It was a two-year fight, but the way the state of Georgia works is a right to work at Will State. So in reality, workers really don't have what they need to fight corporations unless you have something, you know, they can get it for discrimination, maybe. But in reality, there's no real rights for workers in the state of Georgia, unless you have a union contract. So thankfully, at the other job, I was fully aware of the rights as a unionist, uh, being a union steward with uh, the Teamsters, of how that works. So I'm very thankful for having a union contract, know the benefits of it, and wanted my coworkers at Delta to have the same thing. Now, I want to ask you something about, because I, I learned this from you, uh, when you are in a right to work state, which means a right to screw workers state, that's what that really means. Um, if you have a union contract in those states, it is enforceable, correct? Oh, yes. Yes, it's enforceable. 
contracts are enforceable. Of course, no contract is above the law. So if you have something legally binding that uh, the contract can't override that. But as far as, you know, the way the employer has to go through a process to terminate employees, that stuff is included and it's upheld, of course. So let me ask you a question then. What, what is the difference between unions in a right-to-work state and unions in other states? Okay, so the major difference is if you are in a state that's a right-to-work state, you do not have to join the union. Even if you're in a company that's unionized, you don't have to join, you don't have to pay dues, but the union still has to represent you. Now, that's something that a lot of us do not like because if you're getting the benefits of what the union is negotiating, if you're getting the benefits of them fighting for you, you should pay your fair share and dues right. to help keep that going. But if you're in a state, of course, that's a unionized state that's, you know, not a at-will right-to-work state, then they don't have to represent non-paying them. So, and I think even people who don't have to pay regular dues have to pay a certain fee anyway. Um, so, it's, that's the major difference. You still have to okay. represent I mean, those that, or not. That's a funding difference, right? That actually tells you whether the union can survive or not. It and does, I guess and I always give the, the analogy. I say, hey, I'm going to move into your house. I know you, the bills are going to go up, but I'm not going to pay you anything. I'm just going to live there. That's the same thing with you. I'm going to come to this job. I'm going to get those free benefits, medical, dental, and vision. I'm going to get that pension that you get, but I'm not going to help, you know what I'm saying, pay into anything to keep it going. So that's the analogy I use. I said, hey, I'm coming. I'm moving in. Get ready. I'm moving in. It so is they don't ridiculous. like it like that, and they see the perspective. Yeah. Now, interestingly, um, we've been sort of happy during this uh, with the results of what has started to occur uh, uh, after the pandemic. Based on your experience in the union movement, do you feel like this is real? Has Have workers really now gained power and now lasting power, or is this just a phase? I truly believe that the during the COVID incident and when it mainly came out, everybody realized the true importance of work. Now, the companies, of course, knew it already, but people kind of didn't realize their value and realize how much they really meant to the corporations. And the only way that the corporations make the profits that they do is because the workers come in and you know make those profits for them. So uh, the the workers begin to wake up and say, hey, oh, now all of a sudden we're essential. Okay, now all of a sudden you can give us these bonuses or you can throw this at us, but you couldn't simply just raise our benefits, you you know, well, give us benefits and great ones. You couldn't simply increase our minimum wages. You couldn't, you know, our hourly wages, things that they could have done before. And then all of a sudden they can do it now. People are realizing, okay, something's not adding up. So that's something that means you could do more for us before but you just chose not to. So I think a lot of people in a lot of areas have woke up and we see that uh, one of the main things is strike Tober when we had a lot of strikes going on and strikes have continually been going on. Tell, actually, tell us um, a little bit about the strikes that you know about that are active around the country. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I actually went down to uh, Alabama to the um, UMWA workers. So those are the mine workers in Alabama. And they've been on strike for now 11 months and counting, which is now, I think, holding the record for the longest uh, maybe uh, strike there. And what they want is, you know, just basic things. I mean, my workers have had it hard in this country, and they definitely should be rewarded for the type of work they do because it's very, very uh, dangerous. 
and they should get what they supposed to get if you're making those type of profits. Like, I mean, the companies are not missing any money. They're making more and more and more profitable. A lot of them were more profitable during the pandemic than before. Mm-hmm. And so they definitely should get exactly what they deserve. So we were out there with those brothers and sisters and talking to them and seeing the things that they needed. I mean, everyday essentials and basics that they did not have because they've been on strike for so long. So I made sure I posted how to donate and give, you know, to their strike fund, as well as they have a a whole pantry set up so they can come get food and clothing items and whatever they need for the children, things like that. So uh, that's one uh, strike. And that same day, we also supported the Amazon workers in Bessemer, Alabama, who are now getting a chance to do another election because the first election they had last year, of course, Amazon had so much union busting going on, it was ridiculous. And they caused them not to win that time. So the NLRB, which is the labor board, National Relations Labor Board, decided that they should get another opportunity to vote. So we were at a rally for them and heard some great stories from different people who work there and things that they go through and why they deserve to have a union. And they, they definitely should get it. Now, uh, Yvette, you make a hell of a speaker for the movement. What always concerns me is that we don't get enough events out there in front of a camera, letting people see what's going on. And, and you know, there's, there's power in having people see other people do powerful things, right? In other words, right. the, 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 the goal of the corporation, include, including what you saw Amazon do in Alabama, is to try to let people know, don't do that scary because suppose it doesn't work out you're in trouble when you have an event out there that says look not only am i working but i have actually gone through the whole system hell they've they've done turn i mean fired me i'm still here you know be the spokesperson to tell people you've got power um what and maybe this is a job for you um yvette maybe you need to uh, start the training business for the union worker i'm not kidding actually at all Uh, why can't we see more of what's going on because it's all over the country why can't we see more of it on tv on even if it's not on tv more than just in that you know how facebook has a way of keeping people in locked up in their cells getting outside of those cells so other people see what's going on how do we get there we have to keep pushing i mean it's going to take us all in different avenues to make our voice be heard because as you say most of the mainstream will not cover it. I could get no one to cover my story when it comes to mainstream media. I reached out personally to the Fox News, to the CNNs, nothing. Anytime it, it comes, especially in Atlanta, it, dealing with Delta Airlines, come in with them, they own the city. So nobody wanted to touch them. I couldn't even get an attorney here. That's how crazy it was. I had to go out of state to get an attorney just to go after them. So my whole thing is people have to realize it's going to take you stepping up and doing it on your own and then grouping together with like-minded people and we can get it done. It, it, it can be done. Well, you know, uh, you're a hell of a spokesperson. What else, what else going on around, um, I, I, before I wanted to do a little digression here. You are in uh-huh. a truck. What you doing in a truck? <laughs> so of course, since I was terminated from Delta, I already worked for UPS and decided, hey, what was best for me at the time was to go full-time. So now I'm a full-time package car driver uh, with UPS. So I just cross over from part-time to full-time and I'm here delivering everybody's packages throughout the pandemic. I started during the pandemic doing 
the deliveries and it's, you know, it's been an experience. Well, I've learned you know, a lot I, of things that, I'm honored that you actually kind of parked the truck to have a little talk with politics done right. I'm like excited about, you know, you're, you're, you're coming. I'm like super honored. Hey, she is in that truck. Hey, what else is happening? Tell me what else. First of all, I, I just mentioned about the media not doing what I think the media needs to do. Uh, and I also mentioned that you are very savvy in the way you know how to use media to get the message out. What do you want? us to do not only, when i say us i don't mean the independent media i mean the consumers of independent media who is who actually needs to be a part what what is your message to them well definitely the whole every uh corporation accountable for whatever they do to their workers pay attention to what's going on and support workers in all their endeavors no matter it's from fast food you know they're considered essential too. They didn't realize how essential they were until you know we had our pandemic. So whoever has a fight, who's fighting for wages, who's fighting for benefits, who's fighting for you know healthcare, whatever in these workplaces, please support those workers. Go out whenever you can. If you can't be there in person, you know do something online. You know promote whatever they're doing. Try to get the word out and help in any way you can. Because I know my time is limited a lot more now than it used to be. So that's why it was very important for me to take this time out to do your show because it's invaluable. This is the type of thing that we need to do. Make a few minutes to do anything we can to further uh, the cause. Well, you know, I, I think that is so important. And like I said, you know, you do it and you do it well. Um, you know what my last question always is? What should I have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> um. What all did I find out now as a driver that I happen not to have known before? <laughs> Let me hear it. Well, I have a lot of safety concerns when it comes to driving. And of course, I started a, a, a online petition about that. And I'm going to be fighting for that to get more safety precautions and things put in place for drivers out here. Because it's a lot of things we never think about until we actually do the job. So that's something we definitely uh, need to take care of. And you'll be seeing a lot in the future about. Can you tease us with a few of the things that we never thought about? Well, you never think about as we are out here delivering, we do not know what situations we are walking up on. We could be walking Ooh. up on a domestic situation. We've had people kidnapped. We've had people shot. We've had people, you know, things happen to, you know, drivers out here on the road that you just don't think about. You just say, hey, my package is coming. But you never know where we are, where we're going, and the things that we deal with. So those are just a couple of things. We, we walk up on things that you wouldn't imagine. And, you know, we have to deal with them on a daily basis and deal with the management, you know, coming at us crazy because they think we should be doing this or that. But it's a lot to deal with out here. Amazing. Well, Yvette, it has all, it's always my pleasure to speak to you. Like I tell you all the time, and I mean this from the depth of my heart, you're one of my heroes because you are on the ground actually things done and you know what i believe i believe the people who are getting things done are the ones who are worthy so um thank you so kindly once again for appearing on politics done right event avery our national union specialist that's what i'm going to call her thank you so kindly for having been on politics done right thank you so much for having me again
We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.